0: Good morning. Oh, you guys are more awake than the first service. Said good morning, they were startled. It's like good to see y'all too. Um, Good morning. Uh, This week we're going to be continuing our our Advent series this year called Creation of God's Kingdom. Um, If you're not familiar with Advent, you didn't grow up in a church to celebrate Advent, or maybe you didn't grow up in a church, Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas. These four Sundays we join with the worldwide church in celebration, in waiting, in this expectation of Christ being birthed into the world. Uh, we celebrate, as you've heard in a couple of different places, in song and even in the Treasurer's Report, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Um, we celebrate, you know, many babies have been born to grow up to be queens and kings or, or presidents and prime ministers, but we celebrate the one king who became a baby? We celebrate flesh and blood taken on skin. Um, we celebrate radiance. I'm sorry, taking on skin. We celebrate Jesus Christ, the God of this universe, becoming flesh and blood. And as um, Eugene Peterson, I love it. He says, "Moved into our neighborhood." Um, Advent also, though, not only celebrates Christ's birth. The actual root word, adventus or parousia in the Greek, talks about the return of the King. So this series, or this, this time of year, you know, a lot of times we look at it, we only look at half the meaning of the word, it's like Christ is coming, but the joy of Christ is that he didn't just come once, Christ is coming today, Christ is coming in this moment, Christ will come again. So what we celebrate in Advent is this whole idea that we have a God who fulfills promises, Amen. And here at HBIC, we we, celebrated. we We're going to talk about the creation of God's kingdom. And for our four Sundays, we talked about hope, peace, joy, and love. Uh, for hope, we said that hope is trusting what God has done and what God will do. And last week, we were reintroduced to Joseph and say how Joseph's life shows us that our God is a God of hope. This morning, we'll go with Simeon and learn what this peace from God look like. And then next week, we'll do Zechariah, celebrating God's blessings. We call that joy. And then the Sunday before Christmas, we'll do love, which we're simply going to say is Christ in us, Christ for us, Christ with us. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Before we begin, I'm just going to pray. The prayer, actually, this morning, I call it um, Anna and Simeon's song. It was inspired by Anna and Simeon. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for peace with you. Lord, we thank you that we can know peace with each other. Spirit, we thank you that we can know peace with our world all around us. We thank you, God, for calling us. Teach us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us, Spirit, to bear much fruit for your glory. Lead us, God, to all you have sent us to. Teach us, Jesus, to grow full of grace. Help us, Spirit, to serve and serve well. Lord God, our Father, fill our lives with peace. Lord Jesus, our Christ, fill our lives with peace. Lord Holy Spirit, fill our lives with peace. Amen? All right, so this morning our passage is Luke chapter 2. We'll have it up front as well. I'll be reading verses 22 to 35. Um, follow along with me, starting at verse 22. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people. This morning, we're going to look at the life of Simeon and we're going to look at what peace from God looks like. But before we talk about peace from God or the idea or understanding of biblical peace, we kind of have to work through where we are, what we understand about peace. For some of us, when we think about peace, we think about tranquility. We think about silence. We think about calm. Uh, One of the great blessings in my life is I I never understood people who come to the city and they lock their cars and they're super nervous. I never understood this fear until they put me in the woods with some trees and animals, right? I never understood, and I was just like, "Oh, this is different." A couple years ago, we moved. uh, My wife and I. We still live in the city, and we're on a pretty busy street. But we were far enough that I heard cicadas for the first time in my life. And I remember the first night in the house, I was like, "Shell, why'd you bring me out here to the suburbs? What the? What is happening out here? You know?" But when we think about peace and we think about tranquility, the one of the great blessings in my life was when I got after my fear, you know, and I realized that animals can be your friends most of the time when you're eating them and they're delicious, but that's besides the point. When I got over that, we used to go hiking, and I remember when the first time I ever hiked was in the Catskill Mountains, and we had an 18 to 20-mile hike, and, and it, was, it was annoying, it was terrible, it was hot, it was summer, but I remember after you got through all that, you got to the top of the mountain, and I remember looking over the valley, and I remember just peace and calm. All right. For those of you who live by, by, by water, you know, you ever sit by a quiet lake and just get lost in your thoughts, right? For those of you who are blessed with children, you know this, when everyone goes to sleep, <laughs> peace from God, for others of us, you know, peace is simply the absence of war or conflict. Now, this is hard for us as Americans because we don't do this part well, right? In 243 years that we've been in America, we have been in some kind of conflict for 226 years. You know, so that's just hard, right? So what I do to, to think about what this absence of conflict look like, I go to our neighbors up north, the Canadians, right? My best friend growing up was Canadian, so for years I always asked her, you know, like how come you're from Canada but you're Canadian? Shouldn't you be from Canada? And it just it wouldn't bother her as much as I thought it would. So I kept coming, you know? But one thing that I learned about Canadians is they're pretty protective of their Tim Horton. You know, they're like you get these delicious cakes and, and the coffee's wonderful. I was like, "You mean a donut? Like is that what we call them donuts, you know?" And and then we get in like, "Well, you think you have Starbucks. Well, here's the thing. Here's the joke on the Canadians." I don't like coffee. I think coffee tastes disgusting. Like, I actually feel like when you eat and drink stuff, it should be delicious. You know, like this whole idea of acquired taste. Why would you want to acquire that taste? You know, like, it's just like, I don't know how many times you eat and drink a day. But like, for me, it's just easier to be like, oh, that's delicious, right? Coffee's not delicious. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. So I never really had a dog in the fight until my Canadian friends. Now, you guys might not know, this. a couple of you in here are a little bit older. But there's a raging battle going on right now. It's mostly millennials and Gen Z. And it's mostly on social media. So I just eliminated like half the room, but go with me, right? And the raging battle right now is actually um, Popeyes versus Chick-fil-A. And we're having this battle here in America and it's waging, right? But here's the thing. My Canadian friends goes, oh, you think that's good, you know? You should check out Mary Brown's. And I'm like, first of all, are there chickens up north? Isn't it too cold to grow up there? But again, some of us, peace is absence of conflict, right? But for others of us, when we think about peace, it's rest. It's relaxing. It's maybe recovering, <laughs> We think about peace, it's refreshing. I think this is very, very important because what I found is that all of us suffer from what I call the three O's, right? The first one is oppressive thoughts and oppressive emotions. There's some of us who believe the lie that we're not good enough, that we'll never be good enough, that we're not loved, that we'll never be loved That we're not good, or God doesn't think we're good, or we'll never be good. And these lies, they they weigh on us, and they hold us down, and we suffer from these oppressive thoughts about whether or not we can ever be loved, we can ever be good, we can ever be accepted. We suffer from the three O's. And when we're not suffering from our oppressive thoughts, we might suffer from overwhelming expectations. Expectations that, that other people placed on us. Expectations that we place on ourselves. Expectations we place on those we love. We suffer from overwhelming expectations. And if you're not suffering from that, I think this is all of us. We all suffer from what I call overtaxing busyness. We're all too busy. We're all too busy. All of us are so busy. We live our lives in a hurry. I have a friend who's a pastor in the Northwest. He did a sermon series just about how busy we are. And I was going to bring those stats today, but it depressed me. And it's Christmas. I don't want to do that to you. But what I learned from that series and what he was saying is that the, the wild part about us being so busy is the more you study scripture, the more you study people who've walked with God, it seems as though we're so busy and so okay with the noise, our God works with us alone sometimes and in the silence. So it's not that we can't connect with God, it's that we're too busy for God. It's not that, you know, God isn't here, it's that we're not present with him. We are so busy that we hurry and we have a God who speaks in our silence. And there's ways to combat that. One of the greatest ways is God actually invented. It. It's called Sabbath, right? So for some of us, when we think about rest, we think about unplugging, we think about resetting, but Sabbath for us has to be something that's a spiritual discipline that we practice. All of us, you got 24 hours in a day, you need to plan a Sabbath in that day, You need to give yourself, whether it's five or ten minutes, just give yourself that time to recharge, reconnect with God. Because you need Sabbath that day. You need Sabbath during your week. You need Sabbath during your month. You need Sabbath in that quarter. You need Sabbath in that half a year. You need Sabbath in that whole year. Stop being so busy that you miss the life that God wants you to live. But more than that, stop being so busy that you miss what God wants to tell you. But then, for some of us, peace is harmony. When I think about harmony, you know I think about peanut butter and jelly? You know, I have a lot of, you know, trepidation about the generation behind me, and I pray for them a lot. But one of the struggles that they have is that they will never know the joy of a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You think I'm lying? Go to an elementary school with a peanut butter sandwich and it's like DEFCON 5, right? Like there's so many allergies that you're not even allowed on the property with peanut butter sandwiches. But I love peanut butter and jelly. And there's some of you out there, I'm not gonna name names, who are a little judgmental and you're just like, no, 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 but what kind of bread are you using? You know? Then there's some of you who's like, no, 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 what kind of peanut butter are you using? Jelly or jam, right? But just the simple joy of peanut butter and jelly. That's harmony to me. Now, for some of you, you know, when you think about harmony, you think about kale. And what is kale, right? It's a superfood. It's got all these nutrients and antioxidants, and and it's so good for you. When I think about kale and harmony, I think about kale and and my trash can, (laughs) right? There's so much harmony there for me. Don't judge me, I'm just saying, that's me. But for all of us, hopefully, for all of us, hopefully, harmony is friendships, right? All of us, hopefully, have friends that it doesn't matter how long we've been with them, we can pick up right where we left off. It doesn't matter, you know, when we see them again, we can always jump right back in in rhythm and harmony with each other. So when we think about peace, it's either tranquility and calm and silence or absence of war or conflict or rest, Sabbath, or harmony, but none of those really get to the heart of biblical peace. They get to the heart of what we say peace is, but if we want to know what God says peace is, we got to go back to our Old Testament sisters and brothers, and we got to uncover this word shalom. Shalom is what the first believers called (laughs) all things made right in God's eyes. That's what peace is. All things made right in God's eyes. Now, the first way we have peace is peace with God, and it's all only possible. Through Christ Jesus. In Christ, you can have peace with God. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, puts it like this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Because of Jesus Christ, you can have peace with God. That's the first step of the shalom that Jesus brings. The second step of shalom is we can have peace with one another. One of the things I love about this time of year is when people come to me and they said, man, I got this family get together I'm dreading and and there's gonna be Uncle So and so and this and this. And I just, I'm just, but here's the thing. you're called to be the light of the world. You're not called to fear uncle so-and-so. You're called to be Jesus Christ. You're not here to cower in fear because you don't want to have a hard conversation. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying God wants you to shine the light. I'm not saying you don't got to get out of your feelings about it. I'm just saying God holds you responsible. So enjoy those conversations. Here's the thing about those conversations. How do we have peace with each other? Let's go back to what Paul said to the Ephesians. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. What if we went to these holiday conversations? What if our family, the people we live with, The people we work with, the people who see us in the street, what if they saw us and how they defined or how they saw all of us is, wow, you are so kind. You are so compassionate. You are so forgiving. I see the light in you. What if we don't have to fear conversations because we're going to be living and loving like Jesus Christ? What if we make a commitment this holiday season to be the kind ones? to be the compassionate ones. And here's the thing about forgiveness. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying what Jesus says. If you don't forgive, you look like your father, the devil. And if you do forgive, you look like Jesus Christ. Choose wisely. The third way God calls us to peace Is we have peace with God through Jesus Christ because of the life He lived, the death He died, and because He was raised from the dead. We can have peace with each other because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But here's another one we can also have peace with the world around us. God is reconciling all things to Himself. When you see brokenness in the world, God wants you to partner with Him and your sisters and brothers to fix it. That's how it works. God's not interested in you bemoaning the brokenness of the world. That doesn't help anybody. God's not interested in you reminding him about all the brokenness that's in the world. What God's interested in is you helping him bring shalom to your world. In Colossians, Paul writes this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When you see brokenness in the world, God wants you to say, God, how can I help? When you see darkness in the world, God wants you to say, how can I shine my light here? We are not meant to be followers who complain about the brokenness. Jesus is in heaven. That's what he's doing. The spirit is down here. You are the church, the body of Christ. You're supposed to be fixing that brokenness, bringing peace to your world. That's your job. That's your duty. That's your obligation. That's your call. But too many of us would rather complain because it's a little bit easier. But here's the last one that might be the hardest one for, for some of us anyway. We can believe that because of Jesus Christ and what he did and who he is and him being raised again, that we can have peace with God. We might have seen God heal relationships, so we believe that we have peace with each other. We might even see different small ways that God has used us to improve the people around us and the lives around us, and we might think there's peace coming to our world. But for some of us in this room, what we struggle with the most is peace with ourselves. is actually believing that God loves us, is actually believing that we're worthy of God's love. It's actually believing that God considers us good. It's actually believing that Jesus says, you are my body. You are my voice. You are my hands. You are my feet. It's actually believing that we belong. But I think if we want an answer of what peace from God looks like in yourself, I think we could turn to Simeon. I think Simeon has a few things to teach us. In fact, the name Simeon is interesting because it means God hears me or the one who hears. Simeon actually hearkens back, if you go back to Genesis, to Hagar. Remember, Hagar was pregnant. And she was pregnant with what she thought was the son of promise. And, and, and Sarah grew jealous. And, and Abraham and Sarah so mistreat her that she's about to give birth. Never been there before, but I'm imagining. She's about to give birth, and the oppression she's facing from Abraham and Sarah is so bad that she chose to walk into the desert. Imagine that and sit with that for a second. The oppression she's facing for these people who are supposed to be godly people taking care of her is so bad, she goes, you know what? I'll take my chances walking into the desert. And in that desert, God shows up. And God says, no, 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 I'm with you. I'll carry you. I still have plans for you. And she cries out and says, man, you're the God who sees. Simeon comes from that same line. In fact, the first time we see the name Simeon is with Leah. Now, I love when people say, man, I just love these biblical families. I'm like, who? Like, which ones are you talking about, right? You remember Leah? Most people don't, right? But what happens is Jacob runs from his brother. That's a whole nother story, you know? He goes to his uncle Laban and, and he sees one of Laban's daughters. and He's like, Laban, I like that one. She's amazing. I want to marry her. And Laban says, that's great. Work for me for seven years. I mean, Jacob's like, well, I'm not going back. My brother wants to kill me. So <laughs> seven years, we could do this, right? Um, and, and, and so he works for seven years. And the, the night comes that they're going to have the, the wedding. And this was interesting is, you know, I'm not sure what kind of weddings they had back then. I'm just saying it was a little bit wild than my wedding, right? Because I don't know what happened. It's in Genesis, right? But somehow he thinks he's marrying Rachel. And I don't know what happened in that wedding, but I know he wakes up the next morning and says, Leah? And I'm just saying, everyone wants these biblical examples. I'm just saying, tread carefully, right? And so he goes and he's just like, well, Laban, I I thought you were going to give me Rachel, And Laban goes, oh, no, no, in our culture, the older daughter must be married first. So if you work for me for seven more years, you know, then you can marry Rachel. And and so he does. And so not only do you have this polygamous unions, I guess I should say, right? But you have a setup where Leah knows she's the other woman. She knows that she's not good enough. She knows that she's not loved. She knows that she's not even good enough to be a consolation prize. She, for her whole life, is a disappointment prize. And when she gets pregnant and conceives in that situation, she cries out to God and says, God, thank you for seeing me. There's so many of us who believe the lie that God doesn't see what we're going through. And there's so much of scripture that reminds us he sees everything and he's with you. And Leah names her son Simeon to say, God hears me. So everyone hearing Luke's telling of the story of Jesus coming onto the scene, as soon as they heard the name Simeon, they'll say, oh my gosh, praise God who fulfills promises. Praise God who always comes through. Praise God who always hears. Praise God who always sees. Now, I don't know about you, but that's that's a really good introduction, right? Before they say your name, they're like, praise God who sees. Praise God who hears. Praise God for Simeon. And that's how we get introduced to Simeon. The second thing about Simeon that's real, real interesting to me is that the the Orthodox Christians call him the God Receiver. I think that's beautiful. I don't know why. I just think it's beautiful. Now, the Orthodox are interesting. And my my interest in Orthodox actually came a couple years ago. One of my best friends who I grew up with, the only person I went to college and high school with, um, decided to convert to Orthodoxy. So we had a couple conversations, you know. Um, and I learned the Orthodox Church is actually the second biggest church in the world. There's a billions of Catholics, and there's about 260 million Orthodox. So maybe they could teach us a thing or two, you know? You just got to listen to them every now and then. But the Orthodox actually believed that Simeon wasn't just a random person who's in, showing up in the story. They believed that the Septuagint, which was the, the Old Testament translated into conversational Greek, 10 of you are excited about that. Um, But the Septuagint, when it was formed, was, again, people started speaking conversational Greek. Not everyone knew the Hebrew. So they got these, you know, it depends on your rabbi too. So that's tricky. So some people think Septuagint means 70, but some rabbis say it's 72. And they debate about this. It's only been a couple thousand years. They're still going, right? Um, But the thing about it is that when they came together, they translated the Old Testament, what we hold as the Old Testament, into Greek. And the Orthodox believe that, Simeon was actually in Isaiah, and he was at Isaiah 7.14. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been blessed to translate Greek, it can be a little bit tedious, you know? It can be a little bit repetitive, you know? It's not the most exciting always. So I can imagine this, you know? But when he gets to Isaiah 7.14, he's just going, 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 going. It gets to this verse that says, Therefore, Yahweh himself would give all of you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And the Orthodox believe it was at that point that Simeon thought he could sneak one by God. He laughed himself. him, so he was like, <laughs> that's funny. And then God showed up. And the Orthodox believe it was that moment that the angel appeared to Simeon and goes, oh, you think that's funny? <laughs> you're not going to die until you actually see this virgin conceive, right? So that's why they call him the God receiver. Now, what do we know about Simeon? It's mostly from Luke chapter 2. We know that he's righteous, we know he's in Jerusalem, we know he's devout, and we know he's at the temple. Now, I want to pause there for a second. What if the people who know us, the people we live with, the people we work with, the people who see us on the street, I hear so much... Christians complaining that the world doesn't like Christians. I hear so much people complain about all the things we're against and all that stuff. What if what they knew about you was that you were kind, you were compassionate, you were forgiving? What if they knew that you were righteous, living for God, that you were devout in following God? What if what was said about Simeon, that he was righteous and devout and following God, what if everyone you knew could say that about you? And then the flip side of it is, why can't they? The second thing about Simeon, maybe the last thing about Simeon that I love, in Luke 2, we find out that the Spirit of God is on him, that the Spirit of God speaks to him, and that the Spirit of God moves him. If you want a quick prayer to wake up in the morning, that's a good one. God, may your Spirit rest on me. God, may your Spirit speak to me. God, may your spirit move me. God, may your spirit rest on me. May your spirit speak to me. May your spirit move me. That's how Simeon is characterized as someone who the spirit lives in, speaks to, and moves. And when he moves to this divine appointment, he thinks he's just waiting for this Messiah. You know, he's like, I follow God my whole life. I'm just waiting for this baby to show up. I'm ready for heaven, you know? And he thinks that's all it's going to be about, right? He's ready for retirement in heaven. But when he shows up and he sees the baby Jesus, and what's amazing about this is his mind is blown He knew what God was going to do, and God still amazed him. And I love that. I know that God loves you, but I'm still amazed the ways God loves you. I know that God will always be there for you, but I'm still amazed the ways God's there for you. Same thing, because as he holds this baby, the words flow from the spirit. It comes out of Simeon, and he realizes that this Messiah, this child, is not just the hope of Israel. He's the savior of the world. And this is not as revolutionary to us. You know, one of the things I've always struggled with is when people talk about Jesus coming, they're like, oh, well, you know, the the Jews just missed it because they wanted a political Messiah. You have to understand the Jews are under the yoke of oppression. The Jews are in a culture where everyone looked down upon them, where all their rights have been taken, right? So when you, this is the equivalent, when we say stuff like that, it's the equivalent of going back to Nazi Germany, right? And looking at the Jews and be like, oh, they just wanted a political savior. Or maybe if you want to go closer to home, go to the South 400 years ago and say to African Americans, oh, they just wanted a political savior, The Jews weren't just looking for politics, right? I know we're way more advanced today and we don't put our hopes in politics. I know we're way, way past that, right? We don't make that mistake, right? We're so advanced in 2019, right? But they didn't have their hope in a political savior. They wanted the oppression to cease. They couldn't imagine any other way but a savior coming to cease the oppression. Yet the revelation is that this baby Jesus will grow up to save the world. And what I love the most, I think, about Simeon, though, is simply this. There's so many of us who are conditioned to think that God shows up in the grandiose and the big and the amazing. And we hear it like, you know, it's like, I don't know what happens to us in church, but like we get this like weird testimony envy, you know? Like people are telling their stories just like, man, I'm just this boring old person. And you know? I just been following Jesus my whole life. Like I just didn't have that happen to me. I don't understand that. Because here's the thing. The greatest thing Jesus ever did was die on the cross. And somehow we know that, and we still feel alone or unloved. God isn't just about the grandiose. He's about the ordinary. If you're ordinarily following God faithfully day after day after day, God thinks that's amazing. And what I love about Simeon is that Mary and Joseph have been visited by angels, by wise men, by shepherds. They've seen all the glory and all these things. But with Simeon, it's just a regular day when the baby shows up. Simeon ran his race, and he ran it well. And that's what peace with God looks like. Daily faithful serving God. Daily faithful surrender to God. Daily faithful being moved by the Spirit. Daily faithful letting the Spirit speak to you. Daily faithful letting the Spirit rest on you. But here's another thing that happens in this passage. There's also Mary and Joseph. They're also here. What's interesting about Mary and Joseph that I missed for years was this. They're just being faithful Jews. A lot of times when people look at Jesus, they think he just threw everything about Judaism out. They're being faithful Jews. Because the law of Moses says that your firstborn belonged to Yahweh. It belonged to God. So what they do is you present your firstborn to the temple. The second thing is they're very devout. Now, people can believe in Jesus and not follow him. I know it's crazy for you guys to imagine that, right? But people do that, right? But they believed in Yahweh, and they were devout enough to actually follow what Yahweh asked. So the purification laws was like a time where you had to set apart before you can go back to the temple. And what's interesting about this, though, is that we as Christians kind of get off the hook a little bit. Because we think about it, we go to Hebrews, whenever we happen to be in Hebrews, and we say, praise God for being our great high priest. Praise God, we don't have to do sacrifices. We don't have to do any of that. Jesus was the sacrifice. But the point wasn't the sacrifice. And that's what we miss. The point was, do I prepare my heart to worship God? Do I set apart time to actually say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm here. I want to hear from you. That's what it was. Am I coming to worship, drawing to God with a sincere heart? Am I holding on to the hope and thankfulness of what God has done as I celebrate with my sisters and brothers? Is that how I approach worship? Or is it just going in the car and driving and maybe getting coffee and trying to have Hank not yell at me too much? That's what the purification was, right? Taking time to prepare your heart for worship with God. The thing that's kind of like I missed, though, with Joseph and Mary is that they weren't wealthy. They were not. Like the law actually said, if you came and presented your child to the Lord, you'd give a lamb and a pigeon. And if you couldn't afford it, you'd give two pigeons. And it's something we need to think about and just rest with for a second. Jesus is the God of the world. And he's born not just in a manger, but to a struggling couple, a poor couple. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor, he's not just talking about the least of these, he's talking about himself. When Jesus says, don't forget the least of these behind, it's because he's lived decades on this earth and seeing the pain of being left behind because you're the least of these. Joseph and Mary are not wealthy at all. And yet, God lives in them, and God lives with them. And I think if there's anyone in this room who's ever learned how to stretch a dollar, if there's anyone in this room who's ever got creative with the meals to make it stretch another week, Jesus understands more than you can ever imagine because that's the house he grew up in. The last thing I think I love by Mary and Joseph, they have been visited by angels, wise men, and shepherds. But when they found out, That their baby boy was for the world, they marveled. Never stop being amazed by God's goodness and what God has called you to do. They just ordinary went to the temple and the message they got was more beautiful than that. Peace with God is God making all things right. So the first question I have for you this morning is a simple one. Do I have peace? Do I have peace with God? And for some of you who've never made that decision to follow God, and maybe you need to take time to let the Spirit speak to you to say, I want to give my life to God right now. And for others of you, you've made that decision. But if you're honest with God and the Spirit right now, forget me, just listen to my voice, but forget me. But if you're honest, you know that you and God are not good right now that you don't have peace with him right now, that you need to take this time and not just repent, but ask God to to give you that peace with him. And then there's others of us in this room who don't have peace with people in our lives. And again, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying God calls you to forgive. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. I'm just saying that when you forgive, you look like Jesus. And I'm not saying you should forgive and keep yourself in a terrible situation either. Please hear me on that one. I'm not saying you should forgive and let somebody keep hurting you. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, if you're kind, if you're compassionate, if you're willing to forgive, you look like you're Christ and God will give you peace. Second thing is, peace is just understanding that God fulfills his promises, and basking in that. So you have to, if you want peace, hold on to what God has done for you because it'll help you get through today. No matter what you're going through, if you can name one, two, three things God has done for you, it'll help you get through today. And then we can worry about tomorrow, but let's just get through the next day, or maybe it's the next hour, or maybe it's the next minute, or maybe it's just the next second. Hold on to the peace of what God has done for you the last thing I think I want to talk about is just simply this. There's a peace that comes from being faithful to God. This past week, I got to sit with some young ladies, um, and it was very humbling on many levels. And, and one of the, the levels that was humbling is that there are people around the table who've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive. And if it's possible for you, I think all of us would do well to sit with people like that every once in a while. Because here's the thing, sitting around that room and hearing their hunger to keep growing with God, to keep hearing from God, to keep being transformed by God, it was life-giving to me. There's a peace that comes from faithfully following God. Don't believe the lie that God only works in the big and the extravagant. If you're faithful to God today, and you're faithful for God for a week, and you're faithful to God for a month, a year, five years, ten years, no one else may see your faithfulness, but I guarantee you, your God does. And it's not about rewards, people. It's about peace. Right? There's a lot of times we get motivations. I'll get my reward in heaven. Well, heaven might be far for some of us. Get the peace of God today. There's a reward in being faithful to following him. Simeon was led by the Spirit. My prayer for all of us is that as we wake up every day, we say, Holy Spirit, rest on me. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, move me. Because if we're willing to let the Spirit rest on us, then it's easier for us to surrender and be transformed. And if we're willing to let the Spirit speak to us, then some of us, when he's speaking, we learn to to pipe down a little bit. And our busyness slows down a little bit. And when we stop hurrying from here and here and here and here, and we just sit with God for a little bit, that small, still voice might give us more than we can imagine. And the best part about having the Spirit rest on you and speaking to you is that you have a guarantee from the Spirit that the Spirit will move you and you'll have divine appointments in your ordinary scenes. Simeon didn't know the day that Jesus would show up. You don't either. Simeon didn't know the conversation that God was going to use to bless other people and bless the world through him. You don't either. Let the Spirit rest on you. Let the Spirit speak to you. Let the Spirit move you. And you can know peace with God. Amen? amen. We're going to end our service by, I'd um, like to invite up the worship team. Um, we're going to end our service by singing a song, Yes and Amen. And the, the hook of this song is pretty simple, right? We say, all your promises are yes and amen. And when I was thinking about the peace of God, one of the best ways, I think, to hold on to the peace of God is to know what God has promised you, what God has done for you, and to just rest in that. There's so much we're all dealing with, but if we can name what God has done and what God has promised, we can know peace. I'd also like to call up the intercessors um, and any pastors in the room, please come up. I think that at the end of this service, I think we all need to do an inventory. Maybe you want to come up because you say, I want to know what this peace with God is really like. Or maybe you know you're going to have some hard conversations with family or friends in the next couple of weeks, right? And you want the peace of God so that you can go through that conversation and be loving and compassionate and Christ-like. Or maybe you see so much brokenness in the world and you say, God, I'm overwhelmed. How can I help? How can I do something? Please come up. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray with you. But as we sing this song... Let us hold on to the simple fact that our God who promises is our God who fulfills them. Amen? Let's stand and sing together.
1: Father of kindness. Father kindness, you have brought out grace. You brought me out of darkness. You have filled me with Mercy or my help inside, Lord. I can't help but sing. sing that again. Father of kindness, oh, Father of kindness, you have borne our grace. You brought me out of darkness, you filled me with me. Of mercy or my help inside. Lord, I can help say Faithful, you are faithful, you are faithful forever. All your promises, all your promises, yes amen. All your, all your promises, yes amen. Beautiful Savior, beautiful Savior, you have brought from the ashes you broken every curse oh blessed redeemer you have set this captive free Lord I can't help but say faithful you are faithful you are All your promises are yesterday Oh, all your promises are yesterday Take me for you are faithful are yes and amen oh, all your promises are yes and amen so I will rest and I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness I will rest in promises. My
0: confidence is um, Years ago, one of my mentors told me, you know, he's like, You're a book. And I was just like, Well, that's interesting. Never been called that before, you know? And he said, No, no, no. What I mean by is that everyone who sees you is getting a read on you. And I've been holding on to that this week because I also read this week that to see Jesus is to see God's salvation. So if you combine both thoughts and you hold on to this reality that Jesus came in a physical person and that physical person is now in heaven, that he's left behind his spirit and you. If you hold that on, you realize that for the world to see you, they should see God's salvation. So as I send you off this week and we talk about peace, may we be reminded that the peace that God gives is not simply for us to mellow and just be happy about. It's supposed to bear fruit to our world. When they see us, let them see our Jesus. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for the blessing, for the honor, for the responsibility of not just being God receivers, but being God givers. God, we pray that in every conversation, in every interaction, in every person that we meet, we pray that your light may shine in us, shine through us, shine with us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Holy Spirit, move us. Holy Spirit, thank you for living inside of us. Transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we pray now that the peace that comes from God may be defined by a life of faithfulness in you. That the peace that comes from God may be defined by following you daily. May be defined, follow you in our everyday scenes. And God, help us to step up to the plate and accept your call that when our world sees us, let them know that your true light is shining that your true light is already winning and that all darkness all brokenness can be healed and overcome God help us to bring you into the world by listening to the spirit by sharing your love and being led by our father in your holy and precious name Lord we pray amen God bless you all
1: in your promises, my confidence is you faithful.